Hello and welcome to No Nonsense. I'm Pamela Wallen. Today we're going to try something a little different. We're going to call it a mini pod or a quick take on an idea or an insight that needs to be or should be amplified, but it's only part of a larger ongoing conversation. So you can imagine I'm talking at least about uh, the Middle East and what has been going on in Israel and Gaza. Matt Gurney is a journalist and a broadcaster, part of that next-gen uh, journalism, longtime radio host and uh, columnist and editor at the National Post. But then in 2020, he co-founded something called The Line, an online news and content production site, uh, co-founded with um, Jen Gerson. And I'm going to quote their own words here. This is for writers seeking to create engaging content that speaks out against illiberalism, hypocrisy, and institutional cultures enforcing a state of stifling conformity. Yeah, I guess you mean mainstream media. In part, not exclusively, but certainly in yeah. part, yeah. The, the smaller it's gotten, the more same-same it's gotten because it's yeah. contracted to newsrooms in three big cities. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly true. Uh, a far cry from when, when I was an active part of this world. What really struck me about your piece, and the title was, This Time Twitter Was Real Life. I mean, we'll just call it Twitter instead of X because yeah. it's weird for the purposes Rolls of off the station. <laughs> yes. So, and basically what you were implying, and this is something I feel too, that we've kind of lost the stomach for reality. We're always being warned about uh, words or microaggressions that might uh, trigger us, but somehow war crimes uh, seem to be okay as long as we don't show the pictures. You're saying I went online, I saw the actual pictures. That's what clarified it for me in my mind. Yeah. You know, and in something someone, uh, a friend of mine told me once, and it sounded so simple when he said it, but the more I thought about it, the more profound I realized the statement was, he said that all of us are what our lives have made us. And I know that that sounds like just, you know, well, yeah, like no kidding. But then I think about it and you and I, and most of the people who will see this or will listen to this, we are the products of post-World War II, peace, security, stability, prosperity. <laughs> Now, I have a, a hunch we may have peaked in late 2019, but mo most of us had a pretty good run for most of our lives. And I think we have lost sight of the fact that a lot of what we have and a lot of what we enjoy was paid for the hard way, that there was a lot of human suffering and a lot of human indignity and a lot of human tragedy that brought us to the point where I think my dad was the first in my patrilineal line who was not a soldier of some kind right because like yeah. there had been like just you had to fight Everybody you had to have war, security right. yeah and then my my dad comes along and for the first time ever there's a generation where you can join the military as a calling or as a vocation but you kind of didn't have to and then my generation was the same Pamela, my kids are young. They're in elementary school. I make no predictions about whether or not service will be a choice or a vocation for them yep. or if it'll be a national necessity. I don't like the trend lines. Yep. We think about conflict. We think about war as either something that is old. You know, we all put on our poppies for the for the veterans or we think it as something that's bad and stupid. Not every country has the luxury of viewing self-defense in the abstract in the way that Canadians do. And I think what we saw spilling out onto uh, the live streams just over a week ago was what a, a lot of human history has been like. But it just hasn't been like that here for the last few generations. 
which may have just been long enough for us to forget what human history really is. Well, even uh, I found, Matt, that when the reference from the Israelis early on was this was our 9-11, yeah. uh, just comparing the profound, you know, the numbers, if relatively speaking, they're a country of 8 million people, um, that it is uh, the equivalent of that. But you made a really interesting point, which is 9-11 was still, although there's a whole generation that doesn't know where that is either, but that that was a shared experience. It, w- it was plastered all over every television screen, everywhere, all of the time. This is different in the sense that you have to go and seek out how much of this you're prepared to stomach. It is uh, for us a coincidence. For the Israelis, it's an irrelevancy. But this attack unfolded on the Thanksgiving long weekend, which meant that I was seeing and gathering with family and friends more so than I would on uh, a typical weekend. And it was an incredibly accidental, but interesting real life experiment in seeing who knew what. And these are generally educated white collar news savvy people, but some of them had spent all day at their kid's soccer tournament or all day getting the, the, the stuffing and the Turkey ready. And they had heard on, you know, in the car while running out to the grocery store, Oh, an outbreak of fighting in the middle East. And they uh, kind of, a lot of them went, and I understand why. They went, well, you know, it's round 900 of Middle Eastern yeah. conflict. Like, what, what's new about this? Pamela, I had done a stupid thing. Um, since I had Saturday last weekend off from my son's hockey, I figured, hey, I'm going to stay up late on Friday. I'm, I'm going to have a dad night. I'm going to listen to music. Right. I'm going to have a few drinks. And I ended up staying up late, which means I caught the start of it live because I stupidly checked Twitter one more time before I went yeah. to bed. And I started, <laughs> yeah, I started looking at the live streams and I know enough about the region and I know enough about uh, defense and security issues that I knew in the first 30 seconds that something unprecedented was happening. And I watched it and I stayed up all that night, uh, which didn't do my weekend any favors, but I stayed up and I watched it all. And by the time my friends were waking up on Saturday morning and seeing some headlines or news alerts or notifications on their phone, I knew exactly what was happening and I was terrified. And then I spent, I I still think this process is ongoing where people are now figuring out this ain't like last time. This is not grad school, 1995, let's debate Israel, Palestine. This is something new. And I think a lot of the positions people rushed out to take or almost (laughs) reflexive habits, like, oh, I'm pro-Palestinian or I'm pro-Israeli. People are now realizing that what we're responding to here is something very different and some of their initial reactions may not have fared well, but I still think to, to the point you raised, if you're only getting your understanding of this, or at least when I wrote the column last week, if you were only getting your understanding of this by you know opening your Globe and Mail or watching the CBC Nightly News, you weren't really understanding why this time was different. And yeah. Twitter is not normally real life. Twitter is an echo chamber that can skew better than it can inform. But sometimes these social media tools plug you into the raw, visceral reality of something in a way that I, I not only do I think the media does not capture, yeah. you've spent enough time in newsrooms to know that we sanitize and we take Absolutely. the hard edges off this. Yeah. We don't publish the photos of the blasted bodies. We publish the photo of the sad, grieving survivor. You know yeah. why? Because it's less awful. No, that's that's been going on for a long time. And what troubles me now really is with all of this tendency to warn people about visuals you're going to see on a newscast. It's a newscast, 
right? We we yeah. need to kind of toughen up a little bit is that, you know, it's kind of a slippery slope from warnings to censorship. And, and that's why we have to really be careful here. But, but this is like you, you drilled down when you started to see this and you went uh, to find the story, because I think what you said about the beheadings of babies is there was instant denial on that. Uh, you traced it back. There was sort of one source initially for the mainstream media to to promote that. But then you started seeing the actual evidence. Um, and and that's it, it's there if you if you have the guts to look at it. I don't know if I have the guts or if I'm stupid, but either way, I, I've looked at some of this stuff. And look, in your career in, in media, and I think anyone in our career, there is visceral secondhand trauma that you absorb that just becomes part of you. And mm -hmm. I didn't sleep for the first week or so of this. Finally, the, the second weekend, I was able to, I guess, out of exhaustion to start crashing, to start crashing again. But I, I've seen stuff I'm never going to unsee. And you know, a lot of people have said to me, well, why aren't we going to show the same scenes from Gaza? To which my response is, we should. We should all know what war is. We should know even at a remove what this means. And even if you support the Israeli operation in Gaza, which I think on balance I do, I, I hope they exercise their usual restraint, but I understand and agree that they need to go and, and uproot Hamas. We should know what that costs. We should know what that, look like, uh, that looks like. We should know why they're doing it. And you know, it, it's a really tough balance because, you know, for instance, my my uh, my older child is, is my daughter and she's old enough now. She is kind of like a, the beginnings of a social media presence and she has her own phone. And my wife and I have took some of the apps off of it because we're not going to be able to control what comes out, especially if Hamas starts executing their hostages like they've said they will. And bragging but, about it online. Yeah. So that's you know, I, I will handle an 11 year old differently than I will handle like tens of millions of adult Canadians. You're all welcome to your own opinions and you're all welcome to disagree with mine, but look at it, know what you're talking yeah. about first. See, this is, this is what I think is an important point about seeing this, which is because we're hearing this argument all the time here, my personal view, which I will just state here as well, there is no moral equivalency between what happened uh, in the dark of night to the Israelis and what the Israeli response might be uh, to Hamas which of course will have collateral damage. But if you don't see the pictures and if you go back and fall back on those original views, as you say, that you've held since a as a university student, you're going to have that, that same ill-informed reaction. Thinking is hard. Changing our minds is hard. Being confronted by new information that challenges our worldview is hard. And Nothing I've seen, I, I've talked about these horrible images I've seen and ex expecting to see more. None of it challenges my worldview. Like I didn't learn anything about Hamas that I didn't know already. I just had to look at it. And I didn't know, I didn't learn anything about humanity that I hadn't figured out already. I just had to look at it. There are people out there who will not have that luxury where some of what they're going to be exposed to or may have already been exposed to is going to challenge their understanding. It's going to challenge their assumptions and their worldview. Some of them will learn from it. Some of them will go through that terrible, painful process of maturing and evolution. Some will just rush right into the soothing arms of denial. And we've both seen that happen already. Yep. Yep. So um, we have seen this happen, you know, with, I guess, the Arab Spring where we witnessed it. And so people went, it was real. 
Um, we saw pictures of the withdrawal from Afghanistan and therefore knew it was botched. We've seen Ukraine um, to again see some pretty um, bloody gruesome sights. This again takes us one further step down the road. Imagine the difference between a few dozen frames of the Zapruder film right through to the era of live streaming your pogrom and and just showing not not even to document it, but just because you're having a blast and you're really excited. Hey, look at all the Jews we're murdering. This is fantastic. And then for Hamas to promise to make the execution of hostages a tactic of war. This is the Islamic state effect happening on on modern terror groups. And Hamas has been around for a while. The Islamic State raised the game, so to speak, but now the proliferation of cameras and internet connectivity allows you to do it virtually in, in real time here. I, I It feels terrible talking about something so awful in clinical terms, but what Hamas yep. has stumbled on is a new form of highly effective asymmetrical terrorism. The way that they were live streaming to the friends and families through the contacts in a phone, yeah. the, the, the rape, Taking murder, the and torture. Of the individual, they were torturing it and then hitting the family button. That's, I, I don't mean to sound approving of it, but in terms of asymmetrical terrorism, that's an effective tactic. And I'm afraid we have either raised or lowered the bar, depending on how you want to say this. Other groups will make use of this. The, uh, the, the capacity of humanity to disappoint me seems to know no bounds, but here we are. So final thought then on Twitter, on X, on drilling down and going to find this stuff out journalistically you do it you you held the government's feet to the fire when they were saying that the embassy was open when it really was had a number in ottawa you could call which is not the same as being open um you you dug down and found the actual stories not just one eyewitness account on the beheadings and the rapes and the brutality so what do you say not just to your 11 year old but to everybody else about the technology and how to use it these are the greatest tools ever invented in especially for for our line of work and i i don't this is a bigger conversation than we probably yeah. have time for but never before in history has every tool needed for journalism whether it's a camera or a tape recorder or a a, a video camera or the ability to write We've never distilled them into a pocket-sized device before. And this could be an incredible democratizer. This could be an incredible agent of positive change. It can also be an unbelievably destructive of info war and even outright war. And we're never really going to make peace with it. Seems to be something about us. We invent something new and we immediately throw ourselves into it. And then we worry about the consequences later. Did digitized depictions of live streamed massacres and combat operations are just part of our reality now. I think back to some of the the war correspondents I've known from the Second World War right through to Afghanistan. Now anyone with an iPhone can do it, and that will probably be helpful in some ways to historians. It's going to make the present a little harder to live through for all of us, I think. Yeah, I hope it doesn't make us turn away even more. I hope I it makes us look. Yeah. I was, now, for what it's worth, I was relieved this week to know that even after all the things in my career, I could still be shocked and horrified. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but there it is. No, I think it's a good thing. Matt, thanks very much uh, for thank this. You. It was an important piece you wrote, and thank you for letting us highlight it in, uh, in this new way. Matt Gurney uh, from The Line taking a look at how um, the images we can see are the images we should see and when we do.
What do we do about it? That's it for this mini version of No Nonsense. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>